Endgame. You guys excited about this? Yeah! It doesn't come out for three weeks, but tickets went on sale today, and so many people tried to buy them that all the ticket sites crashed. <laughs> that pretty much sums up the country. We buy our Avengers tickets three weeks early, file our taxes five minutes before they're due. It's like that kind of sums up perfectly. Right? That's pretty good. That's pretty good. And as we mentioned earlier, during the historic critical race. For the mayor of bloody, bloody Chicago with, with incredibly serious problems to solve and national attention to the two black women running. They got 32% turnout. Yeah, I mentioned India's got a big election coming up. They have 900 million registered voters. Almost three times our entire population of registered voters. Mm. I wonder um, what their turnout's that's like. That's what I'm going to look for. Yeah. Uh, elections on April 11th, I'm going to look for what kind of turnout do they get. Do they take their democracy for granted mm. like we do? Mm. Uh, Michael, be ready with the transition music because we're going to need it. And it's probably a bad idea, but I'm going to tell you this story anyway. I'll keep it brief. Heard a, uh, a report on this earlier. You like your identity politics? You big on that? That uh, you got a group by race and ethnicity, and, and that's your people, and anybody else is evil, and the rest of it, and that's the way to achieve enlightenment and justice in this country. A charming story out of the Middle East about all those uh, Yazidi women who are kidnapped by ISIS, remember that? And forced into marriages and raped and the rest of it. It was one of the most horrific uh, tramplings on human rights in the last half century. Well, a lot of those rapines and forced pregnancies, uh, or, or I'm sorry, forced marriages resulted in pregnancies, which resulted in, in children. And now that ISIS has been defeated, these poor victims, these Yazidi women, want to go back home. But because of identity politics, those children are considered unclean and evil. And those mothers who have grown to love their children as they should can't go home to their village unless they abandon their children. They can't go home to their extended families unless they abandon those children because they're the wrong tribe. They're not considered Yazidis, you see, these children. They're considered considered Muslims because the father was Muslim. And what matters is what blood you got. Progressives in the clan have this in common. So how much blood you got. So looking at Valerie Jarrett the other day. I mean, she has lighter skin than I do. I thought that bitch was white! Right, Said exactly. Said one Roseanne Barr. Right, she has lighter skin than I do. She has, like, feathery brown hair. Um, unless you happen to know she had some black heritage, you'd never, ever guess it. But because Roseanne made that joke about, uh, you know, Planet of the Apes, and she happens to have some black heritage, it's terrible, and Roseanne loses her show. But... That's what identity politics gets you. And there's nobody like in the Middle East who's willing to say something like, hey, listen, um, what happened to these women was absolutely horrific, but this is the wisdom and beauty of Allah. The reward for their suffering is these beautiful children. And the reward for bringing our families and our tribes back together is we will care for these beautiful children and we will teach them that they're loved and that there's hope for the world and blah, 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 in spite of, you know, what happens. No, 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 no. You got to abandon your child because he doesn't have the right blood in him. Boy, I love identity politics. I hope we can get it going in the U.S. All right, Michael, transition. Yeah, that'd be be a good idea. I got something lighthearted. 
got something lighthearted and fun. See, I'd already forgotten. I've already forgotten what we were talking about. Not me. Um, couple of things. We're not. I'm not going to tell you what company because we're not in the business of advertising alternatives to listening to us. But there's one of your uh, audio, perhaps visual companies, whatever it is, that comes out of a smart device that's going to try this out. When they go to advertisements, you'll have the ability to say, skip the ad if it's not something you're interested in. And then an ad, another ad will come up because maybe mm. that's something you are interested in. Mm. They're going to try that. I think everybody will skip every ad like they do on their DVR. Isn't that mostly what you have on your DVR? I'm skipping. I can see what these ads are. I'm still skipping. I'm not waiting for one I'm interested in. I'm just waiting to get back to the show. Although the smart devices can just keep feeding you ads right. till Kingdom right. Come. I wonder yeah, if there's this, a this limited plan, number of skips. Yeah, this plan doesn't seem to say, oh, no, you're just fast-forwarding to the part where right. there's no ads. It's right. just, here's a different one. Are you interested in this one? Okay, that might work. That might work. It kind of makes sense because the an advertiser, if it's, I don't know, you're advertising, pick something. I'm childless and you're advertising strollers. Right. I have no interest in that whatsoever. You're wasting your time and money. Maybe you're one of those people who takes their dog for a walk in a stroller, Jack. A phenomenon that boggles my mind. But you're not getting any benefit out of the advertiser, so you're not losing anything by me skipping it. Right. I'm not going to buy a stroller. Right. So, I don't know. We'll see if that catches on as a thing. Um, and this story, yet another survey uh, study, this has been done over and over again, always turns out to be the same. You have a better chance of getting a job if you're better looking. They sent out a ton of resumes, uh, identical resumes, just with different photos. Applicants that are good looking, applicants that are not good looking. Of the attractive applicants, one in six received an invitation for an interview. Of the less attractive candidates, only one in 33 received an invitation for the interview. Exact same info, just different picture. There is unquestionably attractive privilege. And the plain looking and the ugly among us are owed reparations. Absolutely. (laughs) Ugly people reparations. I've I've seen the studies where they compare people with black sounding names and white sounding names. And there is a disparity. There's absolutely a disparity. In, you know, how many get invited for interviews. But it it's not, what was it, six to one? One out of six versus one in 33. I mean, six out of five. It's, it's more than five times. That's that's quite yeah. a difference. Now, I want to know how unattractive they went. I mean, do you have, like, sores? And... I doubt it. That would be the sword. Were you fair, like, with average to below average looking people? Slightly below average? I mean, if you have uh, soap opera stars versus the sword, <laughs> but I would actually like to know how far they went with this. Um, also, recruiters have a clear preference for attractive applicants of the other sex. It appeared what? that male recruiters sent out 69%. All right. Oh, now boy. I'm starting to doubt Did this. Did Sean survey. write this? I'm starting to doubt the survey. Giggity. <laughs> nice. Did you send him something from The Onion? No, I don't think so. It's from Market Watch. Oh, okay. But 69%, really? The numbers don't lie, That's the number they came up with. Whose child is here? You are. (laughs) Keep going with the data. I'm fascinated. 69% of male recruiters sent more positive responses to attractive female applicants than to less attractive female applicants with more or less the same uh, with the... uh, the other sex. Male recruiters paid less attention to the appearance of men who applied for the same job. Uh-huh. So, yeah. And so, do women go for handsome fellas? Did you know, say that? I suppose that makes sense. If I'm, choo- you know, I would try really hard to, maybe you do this subconsciously. God, 
would think I would notice if I'm if I'm a hiring position, I'm only like calling in attractive women for interviews. That just seems weird. I like where this is going. There's our PR director. It depends on your situation. Sorry, whoops, I blew the punchline. What? I've never been in a position of hiring where I hire them, but how well they do doesn't affect me. We've only been in positions where we're hiring people where it really matters how good they are. So how good looking you are, I don't freaking care. Right. I want to make more money and not lose my job. That's the only thing I care about. So... I wonder if these people that are in hiring positions, they're not tied into the success of the company. Well, and listen, this is some sort of reverse discrimination, but we had a couple of uh, female producers through the years who were, like, underwear model, incredibly attractive. Thank you. I mean, female ones. (laughs) (laughs) You're you're not bad looking. (laughs) Um, and, And that was not helpful. That was not helpful. I don't see it as an advantage. No. No, I wouldn't so, hold it against. You know what? If I if I'm gonna fudge in an unfair way, I would hold it against somebody, mm. a young hot woman. I just don't want her around. Unless it's discrimination, you know, what is discrimination? It's, it's racism. People that hire because they do want that, it just seems strange to me. Well, what, are you gonna hit on them or hope that they just fall in love with you? A little eye candy, don't you know? Yeah. All right, let's redecorate the place. Yeah. Snip her hair. What are your What's your plan? Speaking of femme fatales, what of the mysterious Chinese lady who tried to sneak into Mar-a-Lago? What was she up to? She a clever spy or a wackadoo? <laughs> we'll get the uh, the latest from the Miami Herald. They should know coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. I'm Sean and Getty. The conscience of the of nation. The nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. We got this text on the idea that uh, good-looking people get hired, or certainly get interviews more often than the average. When we hire office staff, we try to hire average to below-average-looking people so our field employees don't linger around the office. Wow. So they're actually discriminating against good-looking people. I I can picture that. Their employees hang around too much. I can picture that, too. I actually can. Yeah, yeah. A completely different tale, that of the mysterious Chinese woman carrying malware who apparently tried to sneak in Mar-a-Lago while the president was in town. Sarah Blasky joins us. Sarah's a reporter with the Miami Herald. Hello, Sarah. How are you? Hi, guys. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Sure. It's our pleasure. So my question, my first question is, why don't you outline what happened, and I guess we'll get into the follow-ups. Sure. So we don't have a lot of details, but what we know is on Saturday around noon, a woman tried to get into Mar-a-Lago, and she was stopped by Secret Service, obviously, because the president and his family were there. And she presented two passports from China, um, identifying herself as Yujing Zhang. And because she had a similar name to someone who apparently is on the guest list at Mar-a-Lago, they let her through. She gets into the sort of secondary screening area and changes her story. She originally had told these two guys that she was invited and she wanted to use the pool. Um, She didn't even have a swimming suit on her. So in the second area... She says, um, essentially, I'm here for this, I'm here for this um, uh, U.S.-China Friendship uh, Association event. And they're like, wait, what? And because <laughs> That's a good of, one. <laughs> so because of this sort of difference, um, 
in the story, they started questioning her more, and she eventually, according to the police report, um, became combative when she was asked to leave. Uh, I think that means verbally, and um, she was eventually arrested. Her things were searched, and it turned out she was carrying not a swimming suit, but four cell phones, a computer, a hard drive, and a thumb drive. And on that thumb drive, there was malware. Now, we don't know the nature of that. That could be literally anything, an accident to to something much more sinister. You know, Sarah, it strikes me that if this woman is a secret agent of some sort, she's very, very bad at her oh, job. are you kidding? We just caught the Jane Bond of Chinese spies and got lucky. <laughs> yeah. I'm here for the Chinese-U.S. friend relation thingy, and I do I have a passport? I've got two. <laughs> right. And pockets full of burner phones and all sorts of... I mean, that's, uh, you know, I'm not a spy, but uh, that's not... The way spies do it, I don't think. So, uh, do we have any hint, Sarah, that this person might just be a wackadoo? I mean, it's it's possible. We actually don't know anything more about her. Um, federal authorities are being kind of, you know, cagey with details at this point, as you can understand. Um, but but the truth is, we just know she's a 32-year-old woman who was trying to enter Mar-a-Lago. But what I will say is, is we've been talking about Cindy Yang for a couple of weeks, this massage parlor owner who has sort of recently rebranded herself as someone that can get Chinese executives access to Donald Trump, and she's been selling that access at Mar-a-Lago. And, and well, she, she, she's a gal connected to the, what's his name? Robert Kraft. It just popped out of my head. Yeah, is that the... That's right. Yeah, the, oh, so she runs that chain of massage parlor. I'll be so how does that factor into this story? She was at the Chinese-American Friendship Conference? (laughs) Well, actually, she is um, business associates with a man who runs the U.S. Chinese Friendship Association. Okay. uh, Sorry, excuse me. It's called the United Nations Friendship Association. And the summit that they were holding that day was like this U.S.-China Friendship Summit. And Cindy Yang had been promoting that event um, in recent weeks on her um, political consulting website where she sells this access, um, sort of saying this is a chance to meet high-ranking members of Congress. Um, you know, come one, all, come one, come one, come all. Yeah. So she uh, runs brothels on the side, and then does this as her main job, or? Well, we can't say that she runs bro- brothels. I can. I'm a talk show host. I can say anything. <laughs> yeah, but Sarah right, won't. You can say it. What, what, what we know is that she, at one time, owned the spa where Robert Kraft was um, was busted a couple was, of months was. ago. Um, <laughs> but, but she continues to own several spas in Florida that all go by the name Tokyo Day Spa, and and those spas are not related to the current bust, but they have been investigated themselves separately in recent years for similar issues by law enforcement. Sarah Blasky is a reporter for the Miami Herald. I would ask my co-host if you could refrain from staining our guests with your slanders. I would appreciate it. Uh, Now, Sarah, question on the whole uh, chain of uh, massage parlors there. Our question has been, why are the super rich in some cases... Going to, like, low-rent strip mall, you know, rubbing tugs is the coarse term, and I hate to use it, but do we have any idea why that's the the place of choice for the the rich and powerful? I think that's the question everyone has been asking, and if you know the answer, please tell me off the air, because I'd love to write that story. If I had billions of dollars, I wouldn't be, you know, schluffing into some strip mall. Okay, so, but so, you since you're in the area, everybody is wondering why the owner of the Patriots, on the day of an important game, 
why a, a different professional golfer, why a different billionaire all got busted there. It doesn't make sense. I mean, to give you the straight answer here, what we've heard from experts is that massage parlors are incredibly safe places for a John to get sexual favors. And the reason is it's really hard for someone to pose, for an undercover cop to pose as a massage parlor masseuse. I mean, how would they get in? How would they establish that? Mm. You, you know, it's just, it's, it's much harder than, say, an undercover cop standing on the street soliciting. Right, so, or, or uh, sending an ad on a, the internet saying, meet me at this hotel. That makes perfect sense. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. But, but, but there's got to be something about that particular one. I mean, if, if it gets around, if Yelp that, reviews. If that area is like any other urban area I'm aware of, there are Yelp reviews. There are hundreds of them, and how they all ended up at that same one just seems odd to me. Yeah. Oh, I agree. And, it, you know, if it weren't for that, we wouldn't know anything about Cindy Yang. And so she may just be the most unlucky woman in the world that formerly owned a spa, whereas this guy... Robert Kraft just happened to get busted. We we really don't know yeah. what drew him there on Fair that enough. day. Sarah Blasky with the Miami Herald. Sarah, great job. Yeah, you really, really enjoyed talking with you. Thanks a million. Thanks for having me. All right. Mm, you see, I think I think she enjoyed us at first, and she tired of my act. Yes, your act I think is correct. Your slanders. There, is there is there something big going to come out on this whole spa? She's connected to Trump. Not pulling down Trump, but there's something going on, right? I don't know. It's got to be. I don't know. What are you talking about coming up? Nancy Pelosi with some very direct advice for beleaguered Joe Biden. Cool. That's next on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Available right now via the iHeart app and iTunes. Our two new podcasts. Armstrong and Getty, One More Thing. That's our daily after show podcast. And Armstrong and Getty, Extra Large, featuring our interviews of the most interesting people in the world. Subscribe today via the iHeart app or iTunes. Or wherever podcasts are given away for free. Because we're stupid. Sean, hoping you will know. What does the term level up mean? Uh, I'm getting bombarded with these hip-hop style ads on YouTube about level up. Constantly saying level up. I don't use that. It's not part of my uh, language. What does that mean? Just to improve, to get better at. Is it a common term among the young right now? Uh, yeah, it's uh, largely from the video game crowd, right? So if, if I defeat a boss and then I get oh, yeah. experience, then my character is now a level 10 as opposed okay. to a level 9. Making every more YouTube video I watch, and I see YouTube videos almost every day, they run an ad at the beginning that says, level up! Don't smoke, level up! Right? What the hell are you talking about? So that's it. Because you haven't. Haven't leveled up? Correct. <laughs> oh. So a level down. I'm on level. I've been told that before. Here's Marshall Phillips with the news. Well, President Trump certainly enjoying mocking one Joe Biden over allegations of inappropriate touching. Speaking at the Republican Congressional Committee dinner last night, Trump said, I was going to call him, I don't know him well, I was going to say, welcome to the world, Joe. <laughs> you having a good time, Joe? <laughs> oh, God. Are you having a good time? Oh, jeez. And... <laughs> And now it turns out there are four. The New York Times reporting two more women are claiming that the uh, former vice president touched them inappropriately. Okay, one of these is is legitimate question, at least. If not claim, the other one's just stupid. 
Go the, ahead. The Times reporting that Caitlin Caruso said that Biden put his hand on her thigh and hugged her, quote, just a little bit too long during a sexual assault awareness event at the University of Nevada three years ago when she was 19. I can't just... Putting your hand on a woman's thigh. Is that, well, he's grandfatherly and affectionate? I don't know. That's... Well, if he is, he's, like, way, way down that road. Yeah, his boundaries... Being nuts. His boundaries are wrong. Yeah. Um, I, um, I think what he's doing there is, you know, she, she told her story about, uh, about her, her, her bad story about people doing things to her she didn't want them to do to her. And she's like, you know, he's like being comforting and everything like that. But I have never put my hand on any woman's thigh that I wasn't hoping to have sex with. Right. Either having sex with already or hoping to have sex with. Ever in Correct. my life. Not one. Correct. Not one. Um, but I'm not, that doesn't mean that was his intent. Now the second woman, 59-year-old DJ Hill, is alleging Biden. He's a DJ. Alleging Biden moved his hands from her shoulder to her back while she and her husband posed for a photograph in 2012. That's just this dumb. Is idiotic. That shouldn't even make the news. That should What's not the matter even... with you, Marshall? That should Why not... are you slandering that good man who doesn't have a chance? But that should not even be reported. We're all doomed. We're all doomed. If it's a call you into the office story, if in a group picture you move your hand from the shoulder to their to their waist in a group photo. Or you touch her back? We're all doomed. We'll never survive. Would you like to continue your fake news, Marshall? Unless, right unless you're going to decide we all have to stand shoulder to shoulder and nobody can put their arms around each other in a well, picture. Shoulder to shoulder is rubbing, you know, upper arms. We should probably stand about he six inches apart. He moved his shoulders back and forth. I knew what he was saying. <laughs> he kind of rubbed on me, yeah. Right, so, you know, come on. We, 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 we can't lump everything together here or we're all doomed. Meanwhile, Nancy Pelosi, listening to all this, has some advice for Biden. Join the Straight Arm Club. I'm a member of the Straight Arm Club. I mean, I'm a straight armor. <laughs> I just pretend you have a cold and I have a cold. <laughs> that was a good visual. Somebody comes in to hug her. She sticks out her hand right at him to shake hands. That's, you know, yeah. that's one of the more endearing things I've ever heard that duplicitous old witch say. Yeah, a lot, a lot of women, including my wife, have techniques like that for, uh, you know, some people you know her huggers to try to avoid right. that sort of thing. Because you feel like they're trying to just cop a feel. Um, but still, nobody yet has made sexual claims about Joe Biden. They just are, you know, it just seems weird. Again, I can't imagine ever put putting my hand on a, another woman's thigh in any circumstance, especially somebody that was a 19-year-old and who was talking about being sexually assaulted. I mean, it's just... It, well, he's nuts. Voters in Chicago elected the first African-American woman and first openly gay mayor in the city's history. Speaking to a crowd of supporters, Lori Lightfoot said voters did more than make history by electing her. They created a movement for change. Together! We can and will make Chicago a place where your zip code doesn't determine your destiny. How about Jesse Smollett? Turnout for the historic election, 32%. Yeah, well, you know, I wish her well. It's a wonderful city with terrible problems, so I hope she does well. So Rahm Emanuel's done and she's taken over? Yeah, yeah, he said he wasn't going to run again. Um... On the other hand, you know, she's going to be with the, the teachers union and not the school kids. 
and they have terrible school problems. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see if she's willing to crack the right heads. It's not like evil, nasty Republicans ran Chicago into the ground. Her party did. And she's way left in her party. So we shall see. If when you hear a politician say, we're going to change things or it's time for change and you get excited, you're either stupid or under 30. God dang it. Yeah. Yeah. The European Space Agency is getting ready to show the first photograph of a black hole. The space agency is saying in a statement, it's going to. I got to one un- right here. There you go. That's S- a black hole. See that? Yep, See my picture, is. Sean? That's yep. something, huh? European Space Agency. <laughs> Very impressive. You should have called the European Space Agency. It's <laughs> saying it will unveil a photograph of Sagittarius A next week. The photo of the massive black hole at the center of our Milky Way galaxy. Listen to me, black hole. Going to be shown at press briefings around the world one week from today. Space experts say the image is likely to be a photo of what they call the event horizon. That's the edge of the black just, hole. Just keep using terms nobody understands. That's the <laughs> He's edge. trying to explain. I know, but nobody, you can't understand them. Michael, I would like to hear Muse's supermassive black hole at the end of the segment, if you don't mind, his bumper music. You could have Stephen Hawking and right. whoever else you want in here explaining all day long black holes and quarks and whatever that phrase was you just horizon. used. The Come event on. horizon. Right. I still wouldn't understand it. Exactly. I remember I got an event on Friday. That's your event horizon. I, gotta, I don't want to be late. <laughs> the event horizon is the edge of the black hole where light cannot escape. Not, not as hard as it can try. It's it terrible. Yeah, poor light. So anyway, I'm I'm looking forward to that. I you know we'll see how impressive it is. But it's uh, in the hole. <laughs> it's in the black hole. A live report right there. <laughs> All right, that's a wrap. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, that conscience of the nation. Well, if they seriously are gonna you know send us a pic of a black hole, I'd sure like to see it. Yes. So fascinating. Is it a wormhole into another dimension? Speaking of Stephen Hawking, there is an interview that it was in the New York Times over the weekend. I wanted to talk about some of the things he said I thought was really interesting. Is Elizabeth Holmes faking her voice all these years? What voice? More what do you in, mean? More information why, on that. Why would I do that? God, if you haven't watched, it, watched that documentary on HBO. Oh, well, I have. It's worth checking out. When I was up the other night with my terrible rash, I, uh, I watched that documentary. It's interesting, isn't it? it she is an odd bird. <laughs> a lot of people threw money at her. Yep. With, with mm. our technology, we could diagnose your rash with a single drop of blood. <laughs> she was like the world's most disingenuous Cupid doll. Very interesting mix of qualities. <laughs> Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Some more stuff coming out of that Barbara Bush book, Matriarch, Mm. that uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about. There's a lot today. Hope you can stay with us. It's always a pleasure to chat with Lon He Chen, host of the podcast Crossing Lines with Lon He Chen, also a David and Diane Steffi Research Fellow at the Hoover Institution, Director of Domestic Policy Studies and Lecturer in the Public Policy Program at Stanford University. Lon He, how are you, sir? Good morning. How are you, gentlemen? Terrific. Thanks. Hey, we talked to David Drucker, the Washington Examiner, earlier this morning, and we were talking about, you know, the president saying we're going to take on health care and be the party of health care, and then immediately backing off when 
Congressional leaders told him, no, we're not. Uh, and David posited that voters don't want compromise and, and real governance. They want the other side to be forced to capitulate. That's what voters are really lusting for in their hearts. To what extent do you agree or disagree? Yeah, I think David's, uh, first of all, David's a very astute observer of the process, so I, I agree with him. I think that there is, to a certain degree, especially in our politics now, I mean, maybe this wasn't the case, you know, let's say 20 years ago, but particularly now, there is this winner-take-all mentality, and we see it in the public opinion data. We see it when we ask Republicans and Democrats, and by the way, you have a lot of people that self-identify as independents, but they actually lean pretty strongly one way or the other. And, and while we say we like compromise, the reality is that most Americans, who, who particularly those who affiliate with one party or another, they just want to see their side win. They don't really care about compromise at the end of the day. But do you think that it's just part of the ebb and flow of this sort of thing, and eventually we'll all get fed up with nothing getting done on, say, immigration or health care and realize, okay, there, it's got to be something that has, you know, some from both parties voting on it. It's the only way it's ever going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I certainly subscribe to that view. I think that makes a lot of sense. But uh, I do think our politics overall has become uh, more partisan and more contentious, particularly on issues. I noticed that. that. We've always had, yeah, we've always had partisan political characters. You know, there are people who are extreme partisans. If you think back to Newt Gingrich uh, in the 90s or you think back to um, you know, certain Democratic politicians from, from the 80s and 70s, but on issues, we've become quite polarized. It used to be the case that you could have an issue like immigration, which President Reagan handled by, by uh, creating an amnesty, you may recall, in 1986. And, and that was something that drew in Democrats and some Republicans. It's very difficult to envision a similarly constructed compromise today just because people are so dug in with respect to their points of views on different issues. Yeah, the idea that, sorry, nothing can happen unless one party has the House and 60 votes in the Senate, and even then you'd have to get enough of your own people to agree on something. And the White House, right. And yeah. the White House. The, the, just don't even don't even try. It, that, that, that's no way to run a country. Well, and I'd also say that it creates bad policy. I mean, look at what we had during the first couple of years of the Obama administration. We had Obamacare. We had Dodd-Frank financial regulation, which... Uh, while you know the intention was to try and uh, curb financial excesses, actually only created a lot of additional problems for things like community banks and local lending. And then, and then you had the, the big stimulus bill that expanded spending dramatically. So when you have a 60-vote majority in the Senate, when you have control of the House and the presidency, um, it, it is a recipe for the party to get whatever, it's, whatever it wants. But I'd argue that's not a good thing if you look at recent public policy. Hey, I got a question for you. Trump said something funny yesterday, Sean. I really like. I, I really like this <laughs> talking about Joe Biden. Here it comes. You having a good time, Joe? Uh, among things, he said. Um, so, uh, which, which candidate is Trump most afraid of? Do you think? Um, I, you know, I I think that Trump is probably the point of view that he can beat any of these guys. Um, but I, I think his team does have genuine concerns about it, Joe Biden. Um, not, not in the current context. Obviously, in the Democratic primary context, I think Joe Biden has some serious, serious problems, and we can debate whether, in fact, it makes sense for him to get in at all. But in a general election context, I can see how a Joe Biden would be very formidable. I could see how a, a teaming up of Kamala Harris and a more moderate governor could present problems for the president as well. 
But, you know, I, I think if you're Trump's team right now, you're looking over the Democratic Party primary, and each day presents a brand-new gift for you. Because these guys are so busy fighting amongst themselves. All of this stuff on Biden, I would posit, is, and I don't have proof for this, I'm just positing it, that, that it's actually other Democrats who have stuff out there on Biden. Sure. People like Bernie Sanders. You know, these guys want to take Biden down because they see him as a legitimate threat to win the nomination. But for, for every day that this primary becomes contentious, and I'd argue for every day that these guys try to take out Biden, uh, it, it is a gift to Donald Trump, and I think he and his team realize that. Well, there are going to be plenty of gifts to come because we have 500 and some days. Lon He Chen is on the uh, line, the host of the podcast, Crossing Lines with Lon He Chen. A hey, question totally out of law, uh, left field here. I've been chatting with uh, friends in real life lately about um, a lot of my friends are conservatives or, or libertarians or whatever who live in blue states. And they've been talking about, man, I can't take this anymore. I want to move. I want to. And when I retire, blah, blah, blah. But then we go through all the alternatives, and even the red states are, are turning bluer. Is there any United States state that is currently becoming redder? Well, um, Missouri might be an example of a state where, where we are seeing that it was purple throughout much of the 2000s and now is becoming more conservative. Now, that, that may have a little bit less to do with urban politics and a little bit more to do with what I would call suburban and exurban politics. So you've got, you know, Salt, uh, it's not Salt Lake City, St. Louis and uh, Kansas City, which are the two big metro areas in Missouri, uh, folks that live on, on, the, on the outskirts of the suburbs and beyond there are more conservative, and because those population centers are growing, you're seeing those states becoming more conservative. Okay. Um, you know, some have said Ohio, parts of Ohio are becoming uh, a lot more conservative as well. So there are pockets where I think that's the case. But certainly in major urban metro areas around the country, regardless of whether they're in blue or red states, those areas are certainly becoming more blue. I don't think that's a misperception at all. I mean, if you look at Orange County, California is a perfect example. You've got a lot of listeners down there. You know, you know how it is, right? Orange County has become much more uh, liberal, and the politics have become much more democratic over the last couple of cycles. And I, and I do think that's a trend you see in urban areas, to be sure. I got a question. I don't think you can or probably should answer out loud. But oh, you, that's, you, that's a nice you've been, preamble. <laughs> you've been in, <laughs> involved in some major campaigns. What percent of your audience is stupid? <laughs> stupid, maybe being the wrong word. Ignorant. They have no idea what they're talking about. I mean, you just got to hit the like main phrase about whatever topic to, to, to keep them on your side because they don't know what they're talking about. We're, we're, we're thinking about, well, there's a number of issues we could use in an example. The whole tax thing, where a lot of people out there feel like their taxes went up just because the refund, re, their refund is smaller, even though they paid less in taxes. I mean, what do you do with voters like that when you're running a campaign? Well, th- this speaks to just the reality that people are, I, I, I wouldn't say that people are, are stupid or dumb. What I would say is people are busy. And they have their lives, and they're doing their, you know, whatever it is that occupies their lives. You know, we, we had a it wasn't our rule, it's a rule in politics, that if you want a message to stick, you've got to repeat it over 30 times. And that's the case with campaign advertising, that's the case with messaging. I mean, it's why you hear all these politicians, people are always so frustrated, you know, they're like, why do politicians always talk in sound bites? Well, the answer is because that's the only way they get through sometimes, is if they repeat the same sound bite over and over again. And we would run these ads, and we spent millions of dollars on these political campaigns, and it wouldn't make a dime's worth of difference unless you were willing to run that ad many, many, many times and essentially repeat that message dozens and dozens of times. 
And that's the only way that message gets through because people are busy. People have a lot of stuff. You hear that, advertisers trying to sell your Ford truck or whatever you're trying to sell? You need to run that ad at least 30 times on the Armstrong and Getty show. At least, clearly, according to Lonnie Chen. That's really interesting. Yeah. Maybe 50 times. But, but yeah, the more the, the better. Right. Lon Hee Chen is the host of the uh, podcast Crossing Lines with Lon Hee Chen. Um, we, you know, we barely have uh, like a minute and a half, Lon Hee, but uh, to, the, to the movement to disband the Electoral College, what do you say to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, look, people are going to have their views on the Electoral College depending on how their party is doing as a result of it for a while. It benefited the Democrats, now it benefits the Republicans. And the, the Constitution is the Constitution for a reason, and we have the Electoral College for a reason, and I don't think it's outdated. I think it reflects the, the tension that exists between bigger states and smaller states. And that tension existed at the time of the founding. It exists today. And I think it's an important element of our constitutional design, and I would oppose getting rid of it. I think it's strictly a political discussion. It's not really one about what's best for the country. It's about what's best for my party. And it gets back to the point we were talking about earlier uh, in this segment, which is people want their party to win, and they want it to win at all costs. And that's just not the kind of politics that I would subscribe Well, a lot of heavyweights are behind getting rid of the Electoral College. A a lot of the candidates, Dianne Feinstein, signed on to it yesterday. So is that just virtue signaling or just signaling whatever it is? Yeah. Yeah, it's virtue signaling. It also demonstrates where the throw weight of the Democratic Party is. It's not in the center left. It's in the far progressive left. And that's really where this eliminate the Electoral College element is coming from. Lon Hee Chen, host of the podcast Crossing Lines with Lon Hee Chen, research fellow at the Hoover Institution and director of domestic policy studies at Stanford University. Lon Hee, it's uh, always a pleasure. Great stuff. Thank you. Hey, thanks, guys. I remember when I was in music radio and we'd run these promos for like some concert we had coming up and we'd just get so sick as the disc jockeys of the of the promos. Right. And the boss would say, when you're sick of them, that's when the listeners are just starting to hear them. I suppose that's the way it is with political messages. And if 38 Special and REO Speedwagon are on the same bill, you want people to know it. <laughs> you're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.